Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Gospel according to St. John, reading there in the first chapter beginning at the 15th verse. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I hope that those of you who are here in church this morning are happy that you were here. And I do hope that you Christian friends who are worshiping with us today by means of the radio are happy to be numbered in our group. As all of us know, today is the first day of winter. Today is also the fourth Sunday in the Advent season. And what we have been trying to do in this Advent period of four Sundays before Christmas is to prepare ourselves in order to celebrate Christmas as God would want us so to do. And I know that you recall this is the way we have been doing it. On each Sunday in the Advent season, we've been asking the question, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are about to celebrate? And you recall on the first Sunday in Advent, we went to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and we asked Zacharias, what child is this? And you recall his answer was this, that he is no less than the day spring from on high. He is the morning dawn from heaven who came to bring the light of eternal life to this world to rescue you and me from the darkness of eternal death. And then on the second Sunday in Advent, you recall we asked Jesus himself, what child is this? In other words, who are you? The answer that we got from Christ was this, that he is no less than the Son of Man who most assuredly is going to return and is going to punish the wicked. He will punish those who have played him for a fool. And then last Sunday on the third Sunday in Advent, you recall we asked John the Baptist, the son of Zacharias, and John the Baptist said, do you want to know who this child is? Why, he is one who is mightier than I am, who is greater than I, and I am the greatest human being ever born of woman. And today we come to the fourth Sunday in Advent, and here we are, we're on the threshold, as it were, to Christmas. We can almost reach out, can we not? and touch Christmas. And on uh, this Sunday again we say, uh, what child is this? And for the second time we are going to ask John the Baptist. John, is there something else you can tell us about this child? And there is something tremendous that John would also tell us beyond what he told us last Sunday. And that is, as John says about this child, you want to know who he is? John says, he that came after me is preferred before me for he was before me. John said, this child who came after me, who was born six months after I was born, he outranks me for this reason, that he existed before I was ever born. 
He existed before I was ever born, even though he was born six months after I was born. In other words, John says, you really want to know who he is? Why this child? Because he was before me. Because he existed before I was ever born, even though he was born six months later. Why, he is no less than the pre-existent one. He is no less than God. He is no less than the eternal God the Son, the everlasting Son of God. He is very God of very God. You see, he was before me, even though he was born six months after I was born. And you and I, as we get ready for Christmas, we may say, John, do you mean to say that this child was no less than the pre-existent one, the eternal God the Son, the everlasting God the Son, the forever and ever God the Son, deity, God of God. John, is this what you mean? John says, exactly. That's who he was. He was no less than the eternal God the Son. No less than very God of very God. No less than deity, the pre-existent one. You know, you and I may say, oh, that's hard to believe. That seems rather incredulous. It seems rather inconceivable. But John would say to you and me, wait a minute. It is not inconceivable. That should not be hard for you to accept because John would remind you me it's true. The scriptures so testify of him. And John would also remind you and me this morning that as the scriptures testify that this is who this child was, no less than God himself, the scriptures also testify, oh, how desirable, how wonderful, how beautiful he really is, that you and I may accept him. And so on this, the fourth Sunday in Advent, as we are again on the threshold of Christmas, so close that we could almost reach out and touch it, John would remind you and me, why this child whose birthday you're going to celebrate, he was before me. He existed before I existed, even though he was born six months after I was born. He is very God, a very God, because John would remind you and me in the first place, that the scriptures testify that this child of Bethlehem, he was no less than the eternal God, the Son, who was in the bosom of the Father from eternity. We may say, what do the scriptures really say of this child? Our very text says that he was the only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father. You may say, what does that mean when the scriptures so speak about this manger child of Bethlehem? When it calls him the only begotten Son, there are some things about that we don't understand. One thing we do know, he was God the Son, he was the only Son of God. Now let's go back into eternity. When there existed God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before the angels were ever created, before this universe was ever created, before man ever existed, we're back in eternity. And in eternity there existed God the Father, the only begotten Son, and the Holy Spirit. What only begotten means in its fullness, we don't know. We know what it does not mean. It does not mean created. There was no mother of the Trinity back in eternity. In other words, how God the Son is the Son of God the Father, we don't know. 
He is not a created being. He is eternal even as the Father is eternal, without beginning and without ending. He is deity. How he is only begotten, that we don't know. But we know that it does mean this, that he was the uncreated God. He was God the Son from eternity. No man has seen God at any time, says the Word of God. But this manger child of Bethlehem, back in eternity, was in the bosom of the Father. He was in the most intimate relationship with the Father, which means what? That back in eternity, before even the angels were created, before this universe had ever been brought into being, before man existed, God the Father and the only begotten Son and the Holy Spirit planned the universe and planned this creature called man who would be created in the image of God. This universe created for man. And back in eternity, mind you, God the Father already knew that man in his freedom would sin and would disobey God. And therefore, back in eternity with the Son in the bosom of the Father, in that intimate relationship, the entire plan of salvation was worked out. And the plan was this in eternity, that God the Son should come into the world and should suffer and die for the sins of the human race. And back there in eternity, here is the tremendous influence of the Son of God. His consent was given. I know you and I may say, why did God ever create this universe when God knew ahead of time that man was going to sin and look what sin has brought into this world? Well, bear this in mind. You and I can't answer that question except to say God wanted man with the freedom of the will. God never wanted you and me to have to love him. God wanted a being that would love him because that being would want to love him. And so God went ahead and God created the universe. But the plan of salvation was already evolved and it was already thought out in eternity. And therefore, this child of Bethlehem is no less than very God, big enough to be the Savior of the world because he was uncreated of more value than the human race. And thank God, already in eternity, he had given his consent. If anybody asks you, when did God the Son give his consent to come into this world and to suffer and die for the sins of the human race? The answer is, he gave it already in eternity before the creation of the heavens and the earth. It was back there. Had he not given his consent then, oh, how utterly hopeless and terrible things would be. And that's why today on this fourth Sunday in Advent, as you and I are getting ready to celebrate his birthday, let's know this. John the Baptist says, why, again, he existed before I ever was born. He is the eternal God the Son. And because he is so tremendously big, and because he gave his consent in eternity, Father, I'll be the Savior. You and I today, as we get ready for Christmas, we ought to rejoice and thank God for his deity, that he was very God, a very God. Why, if he had not been all so hopeless. And yet there are those in the church who, again, in this sophisticated age, who, who back up on the deity of Christ. And they look at his miracles and they say, oh, those miracles just didn't happen. He was very God, a very God, all right. But those miracles were just the way in which some would describe him. But you see, if the miracles were not historic fact, 
then there's only one other step that you need to go and you can say then was Jesus of Nazareth an historic fact and you can do away with him and then there's nothing left I'm not ashamed of the miracles of Christ oh men may sneer and men may say he was the magician if you like that word it's all right with me but again my Christ stilled the tempest he raised again the dead he healed the maimed and the halt and the blind Thank God that he did. I'm very proud that he did because this babe of Bethlehem, he was no less than the pre-existent one. He was no less than God. And because of his deity, you and I ought to be proud of it and not be embarrassed or ashamed of it. And then we're ready for Christmas because what does Christmas mean? Why, Christmas means God's birthday. Today, the question is being asked, isn't it, oh, what does Christmas mean to you? Well, Christmas may mean a lot of things to a lot of us, and it has a lot on the human side, but essentially, you and I are ready to celebrate Christmas when we say it's God's birthday, God the Son, from everlasting, the eternal Son of God, very God of very God. It is His birthday. That's Christmas. And therefore, let it not be an unknown quantity, let it not be an Xmas, but let that X mean as it ought to mean the Greek letter chi, that it's chimus, in other words, Christus. That chi is the first letter of the Greek word for Christ, and let's let it mean the birthday of God. And when it's the birthday of God in your life and mine, with all the other human things that it means, then we're ready to celebrate. Today, the fourth Sunday in Advent, we may say to ourselves, what child is this? John the Baptist, what do you say about him? And John says, why, don't you know who he is? Why, he existed before I existed. Even though he was born six months after I was born, he existed before I was born. He's the pre-existent one. He is very God of very God. He is the eternal God, the Son. And John would say to you and me, oh, don't have any trouble in believing that. I don't feel that that is incredulous, that it's inconceivable, that you can't accept that. John says the scriptures testify that that's who he was. And in the second place, John would remind you and me that the scriptures testify that this babe of Bethlehem, he was no less than the pre-existent one, the eternal God, the Son, who again, whose goings forth had been from of old, even everlasting. People may say, well, if this babe of Bethlehem was God, a very God, if he was deity, and you hear of him in eternity in the bosom of the Father, then how does it come you don't hear of him in the whole Old Testament period until Bethlehem, until he was born in a manger? Now, I know all of us say, well, in the Old Testament, there are a lot of messianic prophecies, a lot of predictions that foretell of the coming of Messiah. But some of us may wonder, where was this Son of God in the Old Testament? Where was he in the 4,000 years from Adam till the time that he was born? You know, it's rather interesting. If you would take your Bible, there was the prophet Micah who lived about 800 years before Bethlehem who said that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And then he said, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He says, he has been coming into the world. This God the Son, this Messiah, has been penetrating into the world. His going forth had been from the old. We may look in the Old Testament and we may say, 
Where is there any evidence of the visit of the Son of God before Bethlehem in the Old Testament? And if you take your Bible, there is a very strange character and most interesting mentioned in the Old Testament in this 4,000 year period called the angel of the Lord or the angel of the presence. At times the angel of the Lord is separate and distinct from God and at times he is called God. And we may wonder who is this strange personage in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, who is called God. The finest interpretation is that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament was no less than Christ, God the Son, before the incarnation at Bethlehem. That in the Old Testament, this angel of the Lord that penetrated into the world these were temporary comings, temporary pre-incarnations when he assumed human form, as an illustration. Remember when Abraham was seated before his tent one evening and three men came to see him and we are told that they were angels and one of the three is called the angel of the Lord. And remember that angel of the Lord tells Abraham, he said, Abraham, I have come, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. And remember Abraham said, Lord, called him Lord, this angel. And the angel accepts that title. Abraham said, Lord, would you destroy Sodom if there are 50 righteous people left? And the Lord, the angel of the Lord said, no, if there are 50 people left, I'll not destroy the city. And then Abraham said, how about only 45? Would you save it? And if only 40, would you save it? And the Lord said, if there's only 40. Remember, Abraham said 30. And the Lord said, if there are 30, I'll save it. And 20. And then Abraham said, if there's only 10, and the Lord, this angel of the Lord, is called Lord. He said, if there were ten, I'd save the city. Wanting to say, who is this angel of the Lord? The best interpretation, Christ before Bethlehem. The going forth that Micah said. Not only that with Abraham, and then we come on, when Abraham offered up Isaac, remember when he was ready to put the dagger into Isaac's heart, offering him up on Mount Horeb, and the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, Abraham! It was the angel of the Lord, and Abraham called. Who was it that stayed the knife? It was the angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord who was Christ the Son of God in the Old Testament, one of the goings forth. It was the angel of the Lord. And then there was Jacob. Remember when Jacob had horn-swingled his brother, you know, Esau, and had simply, in duplicity, had taken the birthright, and he fled for his life. And remember, he came to Bethel that night, and he had the vision of the ladder. And again, Jacob said, I have seen God face to face, and in his own way, he could see as much of God as he could. And he says, the angel of the Lord, who was it? that spoke to him that night, it was Christ. And then on the way back, 20 years later, when he was coming back, you know, and he had his wives, and he heard that Esau was coming to meet him, and he figured that Esau was going to kill him, and he came to the brook Jabbok. I shall never forget, I stood at the brook Jabbok, and I washed my hands in that brook. It was a thrill of a lifetime, because I remember what happened there. Remember, there he was at night alone, Jacob, with a guilty conscience, and we are told that there wrestled with him a man, called the angel of the Lord all night. Here was one of those temporary pre-incarnations where Christ, the Son of God, assumed a human body temporarily. And Jacob held on to that man, that angel of the Lord, for dear life. And when it started to become dawn, remember the angel of the Lord said, let loose of me. And Jacob said, I'll never let loose of you until you bless me. He wanted the forgiveness of sins. And the angel of the Lord forgave him his sins. Who was that angel that Jacob wrestled with that night at Jabbok? 
Why, it was no less than Christ. It was no less than the babe of Bethlehem, one of his goings forth in the Old Testament. He forgave Jacob his sin and gave him a new name, you recall, and said, Your name shall be Israel, and touched his thigh. And you know, he was limping that day. And when the sun rose on Gibeon and Jacob was limping, he had a new name. He was Israel. He was the prince of God. He had wrestled with God, and he had won. Who was it? Why, it was Christ. You and I say, what do the scriptures tell us about him? The angel of the Lord, the finest interpretation. And when Moses saw a bush that was burning and it wasn't being consumed, the angel of the Lord spoke out of them. Who was it that talked to Moses in the wilderness? It was Christ. The best interpreter here was God the Son manifesting himself. Who was in the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day leading the children of Israel to the land of Canaan? Paul says that rock which followed them was Christ. Oh, well, let me tell you, it's intensely interesting to turn to the Old Testament and to know this, that this babe whose birthday we are about to celebrate, his goings forth were in the Old Testament. He manifested himself. He was the angel of the Lord, the finest interpretation that we can give because the angel of the Lord is also called God, forgiving sins, coming for goodness. And what does it mean to us? Why, it ought to mean this, that when the Scriptures declare him, his goings forth have been from of old. It means that not only was he big enough to be our Savior, but oh, he was so eager and so anxious. He jumped the gun, as it were. In other words, to me, he couldn't wait till he could come into the world to bring goodness, to bring forgiveness, to bring life and to bring salvation. Well, that ought to mean this, friend. When you and I are getting ready for Christmas on this, the fourth Sunday in Advent, we ought to say to ourselves, I'm going to turn to him regardless of my horrible sense of guilt. Well, that may be mine because I have messed up my life, we may say, beyond repair. I wonder how many of us realize that while to most of us Christmas is a wonderful season, we look forward to it with joy and we thank God for it. How many have realized that there are some, and there are some listening this morning, for whom Christmas is a horrible time. It is a veritable hell on earth. Do you realize that? You may say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm not talking theory. I'm talking something real. I wish you could have been with me in the last two weeks. When Christmas time, could you realize there are more suicides around Christmas than in any other season in the year? Do you realize that there are those who say, I can't stand another Christmas? There are those with a sense of guilt who look out of their lives and they're filled with regret. And they cry out and they say, I want my wife back. I'd love my kids back. I'd like my husband back. But I've sinned and they're gone. And they cry out, oh, if I could just turn back the universe and I could just have yesterday. But in those cases where you can't turn back the universe and you can't have yesterday, the loneliness and the sense of guilt and the feeling that everything's hopeless and filled with despair, they're like Judas. When Judas had betrayed his Lord and he stood in the temple with the 30 pieces of silver and he handed them back to the men and they didn't want it and there he stood in desperation and in despondency and he threw the money in the temple. And in that hopelessness and in that despair, he went out and he took his own life. Listen, some of you that are listening, some of you may in church, you lay aside that bottle of pills. 
You lay aside that gun, will you? You lay aside that rope, won't you? May I assure you that because this child of Bethlehem in the Old Testament jumped the gun and was anxious to come, he says to you, it's not hopeless. I don't care what a mess you've made out of your life. I don't care if you can't turn back the universe to have yesterday. My grace is sufficient. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He's anxious to forgive if Christmas is just a veritable hell. Oh, please, the Christ of Christmas, he says, come to my Lord's Supper. By means of lowly bread and wine, I'll give you my body and my blood, which will guarantee you that it will erase from your soul all the guilt that you may have and you feel so forsaken. You feel, oh, so despondent. You feel so overcome with grief. I will erase every trace of guilt and punishment. I am so anxious. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be whiter than snow. I hope you're listening. I'm here to give a positive message. And I know because you have contacted me, some of you, Christmas just means a veritable living hell. But oh, will you look to the manger child of Bethlehem? He again is so anxious and so glad to forgive. This is the fourth Sunday in Advent. And we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. And we say, John, who is this child? And John says, he's the pre-existent one. He is no less than God. And John says, look what the scriptures say. And he also reminds that the scriptures testify that he who was no less than God the Son, when the fullness of time was come, he became flesh and dwelt among us. This Son of God, who was in the bosom of the Father in eternity, very God of very God, this God the Son, who manifested himself in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord, when the fullness of time was come, he was born in the manger in Bethlehem. Then there came a permanent incarnation. He, God the Son, took unto himself a human body and a human soul from the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Ghost, and entered into a permanent eternal union with a human body and a human soul and became a human being. And he was born in that humble manger in Bethlehem. Here was the permanent incarnation. Here was the very God of very God, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And yet again, a lowly child. See, he was before John. And therefore, when he became, therefore, flesh and dwelt among us, the joy and the beauty that we see in him, big enough to be the Savior of the world, and the one who, again, who answered the sin problem, the one who, because he was God, was big enough to take your place and mine, and because he was a true man, born without sin, he was able to suffer and die for you and me on the cross to bear our eternal guilt and our eternal punishment, to bear the equal of an eternity in hell for you and me. That's who this child was who came to Bethlehem 
and was born of the Virgin. And when we see how attractive he is, then we ought to say to ourselves as we're getting ready to celebrate his birthday, we ought to say again in thankfulness for his coming. That he was very God and brought life and salvation for us. Well, then we ought to pray that we would be godlike in our treatment of the poor and the needy and the unfortunate in the world. This is Christmas time, and oh, oh we're, we think, don't we, especially of the poor and of the unfortunate and of the needy. A Christian man said not long ago, speaking to other Christians, he says, Why do we hate the poor? You may say to me, Wait a minute, preacher, I don't hate the poor, but before you answer, Will you again soul-search it? Why do you hate the poor? You and I must say, well, I don't hate the poor and the unfortunate, don't we? Have you ever thought what do we say sometimes with regard to a person that is hungry? And we say, oh, why don't they ever learn thrift? Why don't they learn how to save? Why don't they learn to do for themselves? One of the most godly and pious men that I've ever met who spent his life in intermission work said one day, and I'll never forget it, he said, there are some people that will never learn thrift. You can't teach it to them. They'll never learn to save. There are some people who will never learn to do for themselves. And then he said, if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to remember the poor, you're going to have to remember that there are some who will never learn thrift, who will never be able to provide for themselves. And then he said, remember Christ the manger child of Bethlehem, he identified himself with the poor. It didn't make any difference to him who they were or what they were. I was hungry, remember he said one day, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink of water. I was naked, and you gave me some clothes. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was in the hospital and sick, and you came to see me. I was in jail, and you came to visit me. Oh, if you and I again would realize we could be godlike, the poor, the hungry, the unfortunate. Jesus says, these are my brethren. And in appreciation he came, and he lay in a lowly manger. That you and I then realizing to be godlike, we shall again be godlike with regard to the poor. Again, those who may never learn thrift, never learn how to do for themselves, then to be ready for Christmas to know that we have his approval. There are a lot of Christmas carols that I love, and I know you have a lot of favorites. There's one I particularly like. It came to us from the Czech people. It's called the Christmas Carol of the Poor Little Drummer Boy. It's a beautiful thing. It's a legend, of course, about the drummer boy who came to Bethlehem to see the newborn king. And he was a poor boy. He didn't have any gift to offer the king. He didn't have anything to give to honor the king. All that he had was his little drum. And as the carol goes, he walked up to the Christ child and he said to the Christ child, Shall I play my drum for you? Would it be all right? I have nothing to give you, but could I play my drum for you? And then Mary nodded, and the ox and the lamb, they 
They kept time. Then the little drummer boy says, I played my best for him. That's all he had. Nothing to give, but I played my best for him. And then the beautiful line, and then he smiled at me and my drum. Nothing to give but the manger child of Bethlehem. He smiled at the poor boy who had nothing to give, but he, he played his best. Jesus loves the poor, doesn't he? And if when Christmas Eve comes, friend, you and I can kneel at the manger again, and because of godlikeness in doing something for the poor, Christ's brethren, if he will look up at you and me Christmas Eve and smile, oh, that's, that's Christmas. I wish you that kind of a Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keeping unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.